Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I am sitting here with author and professional bridesmaid and woman who's had a ton of other jobs as well, Jen Glantz. Hello and welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So you are the author of Always a Bridesmaid for Hire, stories on growing up, looking for love and walking down the aisle for complete strangers, um, which comes out February 7th or came out February 7th, depending on when this episode <laughs> airs <laughs> specifically, but I'm, so, and, but you're also an accomplished writer. Yeah. As I was reading your book, I was thinking you are clearly someone who, and this before I had done all the research to discover like, oh yeah, you did a ton of writing. Cause I was like, either there's a, some really good ghost writer mm-hmm. here, or you are someone who studied writing, but who also got into being a professional bridesmaid. Yeah. So I have been writing, wow, since I was probably six years old. It's been my passion. I majored in poetry in college. Uh, I always knew I wanted to be a writer of some sort, and I loved nonfiction writing. So for as long as I can remember, I always wrote about my story, what was happening in my life. And that's what led me to write this book right now. Mm-hmm. Did you ever... This is like a weird direction to take the interview, but I'm going to embrace it. Did you ever want to just be a writer and not do all the like going to weddings for strangers thing? Because here, and I want to delve into being a professional bridesmaid, yeah. but I was thinking about it this morning. I was thinking, my God, that's the worst part of the wedding. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I see so what happened was I started a blog in 2011 after I graduated college, had no clue what to do with my life. And that blog was a place for me to write honestly and openly about what was happening in my life. Flash forward a couple of years, I was always a bridesmaid for my friends, and I wrote openly about that. And then when I made this a business, I figured, why not tell the stories, things that I've learned from the women I've worked with, and also about my personal life during the time that I started this weird business. So can you talk about your decision to, to become a professional yeah. bridesmaid and like what that entails? So it happened two years ago. I had two rather distant friends ask me to be a bridesmaid on the same day, and I thought it was pretty weird. I wasn't very thrilled about it. Before that, I had been a bridesmaid so many times for friends. How many do you think? Oh, I'd say over a half a dozen times. It was getting a little bit crazy. I was spending close to a thousand dollars on each wedding. It's just how much it costs. Uh, And then I went home that night and my roommate was like, wow, Jen, you've become a professional (laughs) bridesmaid. And it just clicked. I thought to myself, you know, maybe I am good at being a bridesmaid and maybe I can do it for strangers. Who knows? So I went to a place where a poetry major would think it's a good idea to start a business. I went to craigslist.com. <laughs> I posted an ad offering my services to the strangers of the world as a professional bridesmaid. What did the, Do you remember what the ad said? I do. It was kind of funny, but also serious. So I said I would do things that your friends might be too busy to do or don't want to do. Things like taking you to the bathroom to pee in your wedding dress, because that is hard. For to people do. who don't know, yeah, you, you need... A handmaiden. Yeah. (laughs) When you try to pee in your dress because your dress is too big. There's a whole system to it and it's pretty complicated. Uh, I talked about how I would dance with your drunk uncle because there's always a creepy drunk uncle (laughs) who needs someone to dance with him. Uh, And I said that I'd plan your bachelorette party and just do the things that, yeah, your friends could do, but oftentimes they're too busy or they're not really interested. 
And did you list a price in your ad? I didn't. I had no idea that anyone would ever see the ad. That's the thing. I, I was just angry that two of these distant friends had asked me. And then my bra- my roommate called me the professional bridesmaid. And then I wrote this ad. I, sh- I wrote it. I shut my computer. I didn't Were you think- serious about the ad? Or was it kind of just like you were resenting the situation you were in? I was serious. I, I said to myself, maybe this could work. Why not try it out? Uh, I, I remember I forgot that I wrote it. I didn't tell a single person about it. Woke up Monday morning. The ad had gone viral. I checked my inbox and I got hundreds of emails from brides all over the world who were interested in learning more about an idea, just so, an idea. So when you say it went viral, um, what happened? All of a sudden, uh, what really happened was I was at work at my full-time job at a tech startup, and a friend had G-chatted me a link to a BuzzFeed article. And the BuzzFeed article said, uh, random woman professional tries to be a professional bridesmaid, writes an ad on Craigslist. And my friend was like, oh my God, Jen, this is you. And I wrote her back. I'm like, oh my God, that is me. Did they? Oh, but... But it was a blind ad, right? It was blind. She was just like, look, this is like you. She's like, that's your life. And and she's like, you should have <laughs> thought like, no, of that first. <laughs> and I was like, I did. Like, that. that's me. So I, I emailed BuzzFeed and I was like, hi, I'm Jen Glantz. That's my ad. And then I called my mom and I was like, mom, you're going to kill me. But I went on Craigslist and here's what I did. And, um, you know, I guess so many people had seen it on Craigslist and they started sharing it that mm-hmm. it got picked up. And, um, you know, that was that was the beginning of the chaotic journey that launched me into starting Bridesmaid for Hire two years ago. Well, so, okay, so your ad went viral, all this attention. Then what happened? After that, I sat down with my brother. Uh, he kind of, I told him about the idea and he sat me down and he said, let's make this into a business. And I had zero business. Uh, you know, I didn't know how to start a business. I didn't know what to do. And together we decided on the name of the business. We read through every single email that had come in and figured out packages based on the needs of brides. Uh, and shortly after that, I found my first bride that I was going to work with. And that was really exciting because it was proof of concept. It was me going to the wedding and actually trying out this business idea for the first time. How'd it go? It was terrifying. I remember I was on the airplane. I was the last one to leave. And I thought to myself, you know, what the heck am I doing? Uh, and I was in uh, Minnesota. I went there. She had fired her maid of honor a couple of uh, months <laughs> oh before. Oh, my God. I hate weddings. Right? There's so much drama. And she had written me this why email. Did she, why did she fire her maid of honor? They were best friends. And the maid of honor was just super jealous of her getting married and the wedding and decided to kind of sabotage not only their relationship, but, you know, her role as the maid of honor. And this, you know, girl from Minnesota. Soda was so sweet. She just wanted female support, mm-hmm. someone to be there for her. So I went to the wedding. I met her for the first time. And, uh, you know, it was a really wonderful experience. And I remember I got back on the plane and I thought to myself, I need to do this because there are people out there who need a service like this. And whether or not everyone thinks it's crazy and strange, I believe in it. And I just saw something really cool happen. And that was the greatest, you know, hug hello to a new <laughs> business idea. Well, honestly, I think that I thought that my wedding plan, so listener, regular listeners of the show, um, might know that my wedding was, I'm, I'm so, I'm very much in love with my husband. Yeah. That part of it, perfect. Sure. But the actual wedding itself was, um, not what I, was not the emotional experience I wanted it to be and was disappointing. Yeah. And I still, like, I still will, watch weddings on tv vanderpump rules let's say oh oh, me too oh yeah (laughs) or um read about weddings or just like i can't i can't deal with the wedding industry that much it makes it 
makes me feel sad and upset about like I still have so much unfinished business about my own wedding but anyway I think that I thought that the wedding planner would do a lot of this stuff Mm -hmm. and I don't I think that we had a a particularly bad wedding planner but I also think that's not really what wedding planners do like they're not there for you emotionally at all it's not in their job description and to be honest with you they're way too busy oftentimes the brides turn to their photographers actually for emotional support but they're too busy making sure they capture every single shot and when I was behind the scenes at all of my friends weddings as their bridesmaid I started to notice like there was nobody there for the bride's sanity whether before the wedding or on the day of her best friends, including myself often, were too busy getting their hair done, their makeup done, caring more about what we wanted to do that day than right. what she needed. It's int- yeah, I mean, that's, I think the most recent time I discussed my wedding, what I said was the feeling that I had was one of loneliness. Yeah, exactly. That is truly what it is. And it can't And you be. don't think that that's how you're going to no, feel. No, but you do. And right. you know what? It is, I'd say, one of the most emotional experiences for anybody and not in a positive way it's extremely stressful there is so much pressure it's a nightmare and oftentimes the bride has nobody to talk about that with because your friends don't want to hear it your fiance doesn't understand it and your parents they're going to drive you even more crazy if you turn to them so who is left well so this is really interesting because I was thinking that the reason that I was in the boat I was in is because I got married kind of late and I chose not to have a wedding. Like I had, we had a very, very small wedding. I was relying a lot on my immediate family. Um, I didn't express my expectations to them. I I didn't know what my expectations were going to be until that day. And then all of a sudden I felt like kind of let down a bunch of things happened. I didn't have, I wasn't leaning. I didn't have my friends like, close by and I should have. Yeah. And so I look at that as like, well, there's, you know, if I had gotten married in my twenties when I had a big group of college friends and it was a big gigantic wedding, it would have been different. Yeah. But it sounds like uh, my question is, do you, you, it sounds like you're seeing this pattern repeatedly where brides actually could use a bridesmaid for hire. They could. And whether that person's just their virtual coach before the wedding or actually down the aisle, I think it's important that they have someone who they're paying to turn to, who is designated to be there for you and to be very honest with you. I think I agree with you. The wedding industry is really tough. Uh, I think it's a very... It's kind of unkind it's is what I found. It's a very dirty industry. Yeah. And every single person is trying to rip you off. I don't consider myself part of the wedding industry. I don't like weddings. I'm very honest about that. I love people. I love helping people in difficult situations. That's how I found myself in this job. Uh, so I like to be honest with brides and say, listen, they're ripping you off. They're not telling you this, this, and this. Right. I've been to all of these weddings. You've never had a wedding before. Let me be your honest voice of reason. And I think that's why people are attracted to this business, this idea, is because it's an honest person who, yeah, you're paying for their advice and their time, but you're not paying for their friendship. Right. You're not really paying for them to really be there for you. So it's a very interesting job. People are like, oh, you're hiring a fake friend to walk down the aisle, but there, it's so much more than that. 
So what are the different packages? I have a virtual package where I'm your wedding coach. You call me up whenever you want. I'm pretty much your on-call therapist. We'll talk about that mother-in-law you can't stand. And we'll talk about how your photographer is ripping you off. And we have (laughs) sessions like that anytime before your wedding. I have a behind-the-scenes package where I'm just there behind the scenes for you and your bridal party. So what? Does does that mean you don't go down the aisle? I mean, you don't. Yeah, don't go down the aisle, but I I really help out everybody there. Uh, And then finally, the package where I do go down the aisle and I wear the dress. Uh, I also have packages for maid of honors. I do an undercover maid of honor package. So if you're too busy to be a maid of honor, I'll do all of the work for you. The bride will never know. Uh, <laughs> I have a couple speech writing packages where I write vows and maid of honor speeches as well, which I absolutely adore doing. Which is your most popular one? Ooh, uh, they're all really popular, I'd say. Uh, the virtual one has been a big hit lately because a lot of people just need that phone support. Uh, so that's been a very popular one. But I did quite a few um, behind the scenes and also down the aisle. In two years, I've worked with about 60 clients in all different capacities. In general, are the brides honest about who you are to them or do they come up with a backstory about how they know you? Oh, yeah. So 50% of the time, the brides will completely lie and we have a story. I'm not <laughs> Jen Glantz. I'm Jen Smith or I'm Jen somebody else. And I know them from kindergarten, art school, Rutgers University, uh, yoga class. We make it up beforehand. I memorize everything about their life. Uh, and when I get there, it's sometimes the first time we're actually meeting in person. What was the craziest wedding you were part of? It's so tough to say because there's been so many weird, wild experiences. Um, I had one, and I write about this in the book, where we spoke uh, probably for a good year on the phone once a month, a couple of weeks out of the year, um, out of the month every month. And uh, right before the wedding, the night before, she calls me up and she says, I have something to tell you. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, what could it be? And uh, she sits me down and she tells me that the man she's marrying is gay. Uh, And it was quite a shock. And it was really my first eye-opening experience learning that sometimes people don't get married for love. And maybe we should all redefine what love is because to everyone, it means something very different. Uh, So of course, it took me a while to understand that. I worked her wedding. I saw what was going on. I I realized why she was doing it. And it really opened my eyes to uh, what marriage is and what love is and how it's really not, you know, something you could easily explain. Why was she marrying him? She married him for comfort and security. Uh, And also because she wanted to help him eventually live his life as a gay man. And she thought that marrying him could help him eventually do that. And, you know, at first I was like, why do you have to marry him? Just help him out. You know, it's $50,000 down the drain plus the divorce fee, you know. Uh, But then I realized that I was very naive and I just didn't understand and very judgmental in that situation, thinking that love and marriage had to be about one thing and one thing only. So it really rocked my world and was probably one of the most last minute eye opening, you know, crazy crazy things that I've witnessed. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that I also at one point had this idea that all marriages were kind of the same yeah. in that I remember I had this idea for either like a book or a TV show interviewing people about their wedding days be- or their weddings because in my mind Regardless of the state of your relationship in the present, on the day that you got married, you must have felt like you were in a fairy tale. This yeah. was like I was young when I yeah. thought this. Like you, I, I thought you must have felt like you were in a fairy tale, like everything you wanted in life was finally coming true. Right. And after my own wedding, I realized, oh, no, that's <laughs> I mean, oh I goodness. think that yeah. you hopefully you feel like you are truly 
marrying your soulmate like hopefully there's at least that but the rest of it no it's no it's just another day and that's why i get so worked up over brides who spend a ton of money on one day eight hours it's it's a little crazy to me um but to be honest you know i've also had a lot of brides who had cold feet who pulled out a week before or five minutes before the wedding who suddenly realized right then and there that that wasn't the right person and you might hear that and think oh my god how do you not know but you know sometimes it's right until you're about to jump off the dive board and right before you bounce up and down and about to jump that's when you realize oh my god I can't believe I'm doing this and that moment happens and you can't prepare for that and you can't blame a person either and it's more common than we think it's more common than we just see in the movies too that is literally I literally used to have a recurring nightmare (laughs) where there would be someone that I was casually dating Mm -hmm. and Maybe he proposed to me and then we were going to get married sort of as a joke or a goof, you know, but I just went along with it. And then like right before the wedding, I'm like, what what am I doing? Like, Mm -hmm. I can't do this. It's weird. I used to have that a lot. Oh, yeah. It's my biggest fear. Like, I think all the time, oh, my God, like, am I going to walk down the aisle and think to myself, what am I doing? You know, how do you know? And sometimes you you don't until that moment. It's crazy. (sighs) The women who who've pulled out then a what happens and b have you do some of them end up going back to the guy oh yeah so you know usually what happens if it's before the wedding actually happens they tell the vendors the vendors are not surprised we've all seen this happen a million times not a million but we've seen it happen a lot so we're not surprised they alert their guests who might be surprised and upset uh one of my brides who five minutes before she pulled me into a room and said i hate the groom i don't know why i'm doing this i don't want to do this had you noticed that there was a potential problem prior to this i didn't because i had never seen them both in person before so over the phone of course you can say this is wonderful but in person you start to see and the second that I met him after I met her I was like this is a very odd match you can just kind of tell how people speak to each other and look at each other on their wedding day especially Mm -hmm. Uh, so when she did that I sat her down we figured it out and um, she I said to her listen don't do this I'll call us an Uber we'll get pizza it'll be a great (laughs) time Um, but she ultimately decided to do it because she had 300 guests waiting for her outside to walk down the aisle half of them came from Africa. So it would be quite the shock to them. So she did go through with it. And then very soon after uh, she ended it. But there are some times when people don't get married and then they get back together. And, you know, you just you never know. Love relationships. People are so complicated. We need to stop trying to figure them out and just accept that. Is there one particular or a few particular problems that you see coming up repeatedly? I see all of the time that brides don't enjoy their wedding. Uh, It's very rare that a bride is having 100% a lot lot of fun at her wedding, really enjoying herself. It's crazy because you're spending so much time, so much money on this one day. And by the way, no one... Sorry, I'm so bitter. (laughs) (laughs) But that's something that I only discovered on the other side of my wedding. Yeah, Like, that's something that they don't really tell you ahead of time. They don't. I always look at a bride before she walks down the aisle and I say, do me a favor, open your eyes really, really wide and pay attention to what's about to happen and try to enjoy yourself because nobody else is going to remind you to do that. Um, But I see quite often brides walking around their wedding, looking at everyone, making sure everything's fine, finding something to get upset about often Mm -hmm. uh, and then having just a very, you know, awkward, uncomfortable day for themselves. And it's a shame. It should only happen once in your life. It's only eight hours and you spent more money than you probably have in the bank on it. And so much time. So much time. Ugh. Stress, Pinterest boards, you know, it, it's a lot. It's a it's a lot that you have to deal with. And I give anyone props for planning a wedding because it takes a lot out of you. So 
what you see is that brides don't enjoy their wedding. Don't enjoy their wedding. I see also all of the time that brides choose bridesmaids. They don't even want to be their bridesmaids, but they feel like they owe them something, whether it's a, oh, you asked me, I'll ask you, or, oh, if I don't ask you, you're going to be mad at me forever. So what happens is they do ask women who shouldn't be their bridesmaids to be their bridesmaids. Then there's a ton of resentment, a ton of drama and issues, and they're crying and screaming the whole time. Um, I tell my brides to use an elevator trick, which is who would you want to be stuck in an elevator with? Because the chances are, if you're stuck in an elevator, you're tired, you're cranky, you're hungry, you're scared. That is how you're going to feel on your wedding day. Who do you want beside you when you feel like that? You'll probably rattle off the list of no more than one or two people. Those are your bridesmaids. You know, it's interesting. When I was planning my wedding, so many people were like, this is your day. Mm-hmm. Do make everything exactly how you want it. It's about you. It's about you and your husband. It's your day. It's your, like you really get into like, I'm you. a princess. This is my day. And yeah. it's gotta be everything, you know? And then like, I don't have a fucking favorite flower. Right. I haven't, who does? it took me, like, I didn't know what kind of ring I, like, yeah. I don't, there are some people who've been planning it since they were children. I was not one of them. Me neither. But I really got into this, like, but I've got to find out what my favorite flower is. And, you know, I really got caught up in all the insanity. But I recall someone saying to me, just remember, it's not really for you. This is for the other people. It's for your family. And I wish I had listened to her more because there's some truth in that, too. There is. I mean, in the end, you are trying to impress your guest list. You know, yeah, it's about you. But in the end, it is about them, too. And it's just like planning a birthday party for yourself. Yeah, it's all about you. But do your friends really want to go to a water park for eight hours during the day? (laughs) You know, and that's truly what your wedding is, too. You want to incorporate everybody and how they feel and what they want, which is a giant headache and a nightmare. What have you noticed is the experience of the groom. Oftentimes, the groom kind of takes a back seat. I mean, sometimes, listen, he's planning it more than the bride. I've seen that too. So it really depends. But usually, they're taking a back seat. They have no idea where to start. They don't have secret Pinterest boards they've been using for (laughs) months or years before. So they're just wondering, you know, what do they have to do to get down the aisle? What happens? And it's very stressful for them too because they're also the support system for the person they're marrying. Uh, And I think in the end, they look back at the wedding and wish they didn't spend that much money or that their parents didn't spend that much money because life after marriage is usually expensive Mm. you're usually upgrading the place you're living you're going on awesome trips you're building your life together you know that's where you should spend the hundred grand rather than an eight-hour wedding just in my opinion based on you know what i've seen and it just it always makes me cringe a little when people spend everything they have on a party yeah yeah, I know. That's like something I think about. I try not to go down that road too much. But I think, <laughs> especially since now, I feel like, oh, fuck, why didn't we just elope? Yeah. yeah. Not only elope and then take and we didn't we didn't spend all the money we had, but, you know, a decent chunk like sure. we could have used that to for yeah. a down payment or well, I mean, whatever, applied it to a down payment, you know. Yeah. You don't know. I mean, you can't know until after you can't. I have this weird goal. If I ever get married, that my wedding will be under a thousand dollars and I'll serve Domino's pizza and it'll be that simple. But I mean, to be honest, when I start planning and I get all these crazy ideas of what I want, uh, the number will rise and I'm sure I'll find myself in the trap of spending a ton of money on one day too, you know? Okay. So of all the vendors in your experience, who are the biggest bitches? Ooh, uh, 
<laughs> DJs are divas. <laughs> Oftentimes, they're the ones who I'm like secretly rolling my eyes at because they have just these crazy requests. They think it's their day, you know? Right. Uh, DJs are, are always tough to work with. Um, you know, I say that, you know, working with photographers is usually really awesome, but sometimes when there's a photographer and a videographer, they butt heads, and my job then becomes to get them to be friends and work together. So, um, you know, you see a lot of different personalities clashing on that day. And if you don't have somewhere, someone there to help you out as the bride, you're the one that's the being the middleman trying to figure it all out with them. Yeah. Our, our photographer, we chose her cause her photos were really good. Yeah. But she had, I think she was sick that day and she also had this very anxious, nervous energy about yeah. her. Like she had to get all her shot, like yeah. all the shots in, which I understand but still, there were certain ones that were missing. But I just remember that day, I was like, I was kind of ready kind of early. And I wanted to put, just put on my dress and yeah. sort of be be done. Um, and the makeup artist who was friends with the photographer was like, oh, no, honey, she's got to get sh- photos of your dress. And oh. so they wouldn't let me put on my dress because she had to, like, take arty photos of the sure. dress, which I don't give a f- I don't care about You're those You're never going to look at ever. Yeah. Like no, there's my dress hanging right. from the outside shower by the window. I do not care. No. And honestly, I don't even think you can pick someone based off of just their pictures because the way your wedding is going to look is different. And you mm. want someone in a photographer who has a personality that meshes well with yours because you are with them more than anybody else on the wedding well, day. Well, that's the thing is that my, the photographer my sister chose um, had this very like big fun personality and really in the family shots kind of like got everyone to play along yeah versus our photographer it's like we're all just lined up with this awkward smile and I think my dad was standing on my dress (laughs) you know it's 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 really like I say everyone should probably try to stop having a paint by numbers wedding where you need the shot of the dress the shoes the DJ plays this song you walk down the aisle both rings right you know it's like here's your ring on your shoe stop having the traditional photos and weddings and start doing whatever the heck you want and don't look at other examples. Like, I don't know why we're all trying to one-up each other's weddings and do the exact same thing. It's generic. What's really weird, though, is how much you can get caught up in it if you're someone who doesn't think you can. And I'm talking about myself. Yeah. Um, like, I really am not that person. Sure. And yet I got so sucked into it. And I think it started with we were trying to plan. Um, I think we – let's see. I forget what month we started planning, but we didn't have a ton of time because I was like, it's insane to me that it just shouldn't take a year. Yeah. We can do this in a few months. And then when I started shopping for the dress, I would, you know, walk into the store and they're like, when's your wedding? And I would say the day. And then they'd be like, oh, okay, well then three quarters of the racks you can't look at because it takes them at least six months to make a dress. And you can, I ended up buying, um, a sample. Yeah. But I didn't realize but that's part of the reason you have to do it so far in advance is because the dress is like every aspect of it takes forever. I think they brainwash you to think that. Right. I think I was talking to one of the brides I'm working with now and she's like, why is everyone trying to rush me to do everything? And that's because they want your money and they want yeah. your money right now. So they rush you into thinking everything has to be done a year before. If you were getting married in two months, you would find the dress of your dreams. You would find everything you wanted. But I think because you don't get married more than once often, this is your first wedding, you have no idea where to start or what to do. But if you're talking to someone like me who goes to a wedding almost every weekend, I'll tell you the truth. 
And I think it's very hard for brides because they don't know where to start. And when they do start, they get sucked into this world of what they think they have to have. It's right. very easy. Right, right. What are things that you see people spending money on that you don't think they need to flowers do. i think yeah. people go crazy with flowers you know what happens after your wedding they go in the trash can or people take them home which is lovely but you spend thousands of dollars on flowers and you want to know something nobody sees them i know people go to weddings and they see very little of your decorations they see well they they taste how good the food is they care about that and they love how good the entertainment is but they don't know what kind of tablecloths you have or plates you have oh or my a table- god the just the tablecloth decision which is expensive <laughs> and it's a big decision but in the end it gets sauce all over it and no one yeah. cares and you know it's the same thing with your flowers your centerpieces could be so towering about to hit the ceiling but nobody looks up they just don't and those towering centerpieces are going to cost you a couple thousand dollars a table Uh, And I think it can be a waste. Plus, not everyone loves flowers. And just because you're a bride, you suddenly have to have a favorite flower? You know, what is that about? And that's just like crazy. They they make you think you have to have all of these things. They really do. Yeah, we got married at a really pretty place. So I thought, oh, we don't really have to go insane with the flowers. But then we went insane with the flowers. Our florist was actually the one vendor who I feel like I didn't have drama with and they did try to execute my my floral vision yeah (laughs) so i was really happy with her but in retrospect it would have been beautiful even without all the flowers yeah and no one really sees it and you know maybe flowers aren't your thing and you can do candles or balloons or whatever you want and people still won't see that Mm. but at least you'll save a lot of money what about in terms of like hair and because that was another whole clusterfuck the hair and the makeup and the, all that stuff what are your thoughts about that go to someone you already use that you like why are you going to start trying to find someone new and do a trial and all this your hair is and your makeup is hard because you might like it on a Tuesday but we know as women that when you wash your hair some days it's different you might have a great hair day but on your wedding day it could be frizzy and gross so yeah. I think it's important to just go simple with your look Try to look like yourself. You'll be most happy. If you don't wear a ton of makeup, try not to look like a Kardashian on your wedding for the first time. You're not going to be happy, you know? Um, So stay realistic with how you look and know that you should look like yourself. It's your wedding. You're going to look beautiful because you should be happy. And this is my last personal wedding question. (laughs) Let's say you've chosen a venue that's not where you live. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of a destination wedding. What's your advice for how to choose vendors in that? situation because that's so we got married in santa barbara yeah which is not that far away but far enough away that we felt like we should hire people out there and then like we don't really know that area and yeah i mean if you're gonna do something far away you might want to just hire local people get reviews get testimonials perhaps even hire a wedding planner in that area uh, or find someone who's gonna really do the research for you you know you don't have to be there to hire people but you need to do the good research to find out who you're compatible with and then make a couple trips up there to make sure you're working well together and all of that uh but that's always going to be less expensive than you know flying a photographer in or having them drive up i lied one more question how do you find how do you know if you found a good wedding planner Ooh, wedding planners are are hard to find a good one um 
oftentimes I find brides tell me that they're always trying to push their own vendors on them. And that makes it hard for the bride because it might not be the best vendor, but it's their preferred vendor. They get a cutback from them. It could be kind of a corrupt process. Yes. Um, so maybe you want to find someone who you really gel with, who's not trying to push you to do things you don't want. You'll know that after the first meeting uh, and also has a price that you're willing to pay. If they're too much money, well, probably their taste is going to be expensive and you're not going to be able to afford anything else. Um, I don't think your wedding planner should be one of your most expensive budget items for your wedding. I felt like, sorry, this is so, this is so me and this is a podcast about me and my wedding. It's wedding therapy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I felt like our wedding planner in the end cared more about pleasing the venue. Yeah. Cause she wants more weddings. Yes. Than me. Yep. And like pushed us around. Like she actually, during the toast at the dinner, she got up and she's like, okay, we have time for one more toast. I was like, what? <laughs> like, all right. First of all, why are you talking right now? Right. And, and then, so then I stood up and I was like, actually, you know, I would love for everyone. Like I kind of negated her um in, in a in a nice way yeah. but then she's like okay well they're gonna start serving food which is fine like yeah. i have no problem with that but i don't know irked i was irked you need to really find someone who is gonna be about your style and not be about the paint by numbers type of wedding unless you want that and you want someone to totally rule the wedding like that but if not it's gonna drive you crazy and it's gonna make you stressed out you know you want to surround yourself with people on the wedding day who are gonna not stress you out and you know what those kind of people are Think about your friends and your family that stress you out. What kind of qualities do they have? You don't want that in the people you work with. Um, so what in your background led to being a professional friend slash coach? I've had a lot of experience working with women in, in rather challenging situations, uh, and I realized early on that I loved doing that. Um, I always loved writing, but a part of me also loved people, and I wanted to perhaps find a job where I could do both. And uh, when I graduated from college, my first job out of college was working for a sorority, and that sorority would send me to high-risk schools where I'd work with women who were dealing with many different problems, and I'd have to be their mentor and help them. And it was a very, very challenging job to have at age 22, and and it was my first taste of, wow, you know, working with women during very challenging situations is is hard and someone someone should do it. I never had a female mentor in my life and I love giving back to women. And that's why I realized, you know, I don't like weddings, uh, but I really like helping people. And when this kind of all just fell into my lap accidentally, I realized it was the right fit. And I also realized that my friends and family didn't call me crazy for being a hired bridesmaid. They also were kind of like, this makes sense. You have experience, you know, getting on a plane, going to a new college, working with sorority women you don't know. It's kind of like going on a plane, flying to a wedding and working with women you don't know there. It all just seemed to click. And I have to say, like, one of the best parts of the job is getting to meet women and people who I never would have the pleasure of meeting in my life. Uh, they've taught me more than I think I've taught them in the long run. Do you tend to like high-pressure situations? I do. I am the crazy person who functions only when the world is falling apart around her. It is bizarre. And have you always been that way? 
I can't remember when this started. I think it was actually when I had become the president of my sorority. I was not your typical sorority girl. I was 18 years old. And as a dare, I joined a sorority. Uh, and from there, I just kind of really loved everything about it. And I loved the girls in my sorority. And I suddenly became president, which was really hard because you're managing a budget of a couple hundred thousand dollars and an executive board of eight other women who are your age. And you're really running a, a business. That's what it is when you're president of a sorority, you run a tiny business with about 160 members, paying members of the business. Uh, and that was a very high-functioning, chaotic situation because I was doing that, plus trying to you know, succeed in college at my own major. So uh, that was the start of, wow, I really like having a lot going on. My mom was always calling me in college saying, you have to rest more. You know, you're always running around. And I loved that. I don't like to be bored. I like to have chaos around me. Who dared you to join a sorority? Uh, it was a couple of friends I had met that freshman summer at college. I was more of like your punk emo kind of girl. I didn't like hanging out with other girls. I had more guy friends. And a couple of them were like, you would never join a sorority. You would think it's crazy and stupid. And I was like, okay, watch me try. And I went through the rush process. And uh, there was just one sorority in particular where the girls were totally laid back. They weren't, you know, dressed up with makeup. I had muddy converse on when I rushed sororities and they did too and um, it was probably the most laid back sorority on campus and they weren't about partying of course they went out but they were really more about helping each other out and um, I never felt weird or different and I always was the weird different kind of girl in every situation and with them I felt like I actually kind of belonged in a weird way that's why I was going to ask, are you someone who it would be out of character for you to join a sorority? But it sounds like yes. Back then, yes. I mean, now people meet me and they're like, of course you'd be in a sorority. You love talking and you love people and you know, you're know you friendly to everyone. But back then I was super shy mm -hmm. uh, and I was always picked on in middle school and I, you know... Were you an outcast? I was such an outcast. I mean, I had such a hard childhood in school growing up. I was always so different and, and weird and kept to myself and shy and got made fun of a ton in elementary school and middle school. Um, it was very scarring and a lot of the girls were so mean to me back then that I think when I grew up I just kind of shied away from making friends and becoming close to anybody and that's why when I joined the sorority and I met women who you know were, were really there for me and, and nice genuinely nice to me and each other I was hooked on it in a very strange way and a lot of those women are my closest friends now and I'm what I'm seven years out of college and a lot of those women are, are my closest friends even now it's really interesting um because I sort of harbor somewhat negative associations with sororities yeah. like I'm someone who would say something like I would never join a sorority yeah. you know, the college I went to had a handful of non-national uh -huh. um, sororities and fraternities but didn't have like official sororities and um, I was talking to my friend in New York my friend Corinne who is really smart but like she's like a dark person yeah and it turned out that she had been in a sorority and her, her what she said about it was very similar to what you said except more defensive of it yeah like people have this idea of what sororities are but i you know it was really 
one of the most positive things I yeah. did. It was women who were like, it was a, a real <clears throat> sisterly support system. It is. And you know what? Of course, if you want to join a sorority that you party and meet guys, they're out there. You know, there was 11 sororities on my campus and there were sororities known for just partying and there were sororities known for, you know, doing this or that. And um, so they're out there. There are negative things that happen in sororities. And I think it's a matter of what you want to get out of it. And I uh, went through the recruitment process and there was a girl in the sorority I joined and she sat me down and she said, if you join the sorority, you will become a leader and you will actually make something out of your college experience. And it was a very bold thing to believe her and to trust her, but it was true. I mean, my sorority, everyone who wanted to could have a position, could be a chair, could be whatever you wanted. And I started off as the philanthropy chair. So my responsibility was to plan events to raise money for the causes we supported. I was a poetry major. So where else in my college experience would I get this leadership? Mm -hmm. Would I get to plan? Would I get to really, you know, run a business in a sense? So for me, I use the sorority as a place to grow as a person. I was a very immature 18-year-old. I left that college at 22 as a pretty mature person who had business experience with a poetry degree. It was bizarre. Um, and to me, it was a very positive experience. But of course, I saw negative things happen all around me in the sorority life at school. When majoring in poetry, were you writing poetry or writing about poetry or both? I uh, majored in creative writing with the track in poetry and nonfiction. So um, I wrote a lot of poetry and uh, critiqued a lot of students' poetry. And I always had a fascination with words. It was just something that I loved. I also majored in journalism, but I learned very quickly that... Um, I never wanted to be a news reporter. And mm -hmm. back then in college, that was the only thing they trained you to be. And I remember I sat down with the journalism, the head of the journalism school, and I said, what do I do now? I'm graduating and I don't want to be a news reporter. Is it because there wasn't enough chance to have your own voice? Yeah, because to me, you know, I never did good in journalism classes because my first paragraph of the article would be flowery words, descriptions. Right. It was like, it was the, my my critique was always get to the point. Mm -hmm. You know, if there was a fire burning a house down, tell us that. But I would start it off like the fire was a beautiful, you know, hue of <laughs> orange and yellow. And uh, it was never for me. And he said, this is what there is. Because back then, there wasn't a lot of blogging or copywriting or digital right. media. It was really print. So I realized then and there, like journalism would never be a passion of mine. It was just a side major to have to help my writing and to learn more about writing. Um, and poetry was great, but I never wanted to be a poet. Mm. So I graduated college kind of thinking to myself, what the heck do I do now? And there was really nobody there to help me figure that out, which was very scary, but also um, in the end, very rewarding to realize that you can figure it out yourself. It's just hard. What did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. I loved kids. I loved teaching. Uh, I always wanted to be a teacher in some sort, work with people. And I always wanted to be a writer. When I was six years old, I was obsessed with books. I'd go to the library every single day and take out a handful of books and read. And I always wanted to be an author and write a book. And many times in my life, people told me that would never happen. Why? Oh, oh my God. I think when people say, I want to be a writer or a painter or a dancer, everyone just looks at you and says, choose something realistic. And a lot of people do. They believe that. I had a 14-year-old teacher in high school who 
he was my journalism teacher in high school and he said to me you will never be a writer you're not good enough wait who was 14 i was 14 okay. yeah and he <laughs> said like, to me he was 14 yeah. <laughs> i wouldn't be listening to what he has to say he said you're never going to be a writer and um i had what a, an asshole oh yeah and that's I had a, so shitty it is really shitty at that age and i had a boss when i was 23 at a magazine who sat me down and laughed in my face when i told her i wanted to write and write books and many people in my life have told me that I was never going to be good enough and I would never write a book and I would never write anything. Um, And I was the kind of person who never believed people. I never listened to anyone. I'm very stubborn. I do what I want. And uh, that's, I think, one of the reasons why I um, am still writing. Did their not believing in you make you more motivated? Yeah, I think I have this thing about me where um, if people reject me or tell me I can't do something or be something, I prove them wrong. Yeah, I have That's that my too. fuel. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And um, it's a good and a bad thing because to me, there's no stopping until I've proved them wrong. Um, but it's also exhausting because a lot of the things I aim for are nearly impossible or very, very hard. But it drives me. And I wasn't always like that. When I was 14 and this teacher had said that to me, I went home crying. And my mom sat me down and she goes, you have two choices. You can believe him and give up or you can prove him wrong. And I remember when she said that to me, I was like, I have two choices. Like, I don't have to listen to him. And she has always believed in me. I did not have the kind of parents who were like, you're going to be a poetry major? Like, whoa. (laughs) They were like, that's awesome. You love books. You love reading. Do it. So I always had the kind of parents who were like, whatever you want to do, do it. We know that you will succeed. They always, for some weird reason, believed in me. I will never understand why. But that was helpful in learning how to believe in myself. So you said that you had a rough childhood. What was your childhood like? I went to a private school in Boca Raton, Florida, which um, is the heart of, you know, grand- where grandparents live. Yes, and- my grandparents lived yep. there. Oh, yeah. Every- <laughs> For half the year and then the whole year. <laughs> Everyone seems to have somebody that lives there. And I went to this private school where um, I was really bullied. And this is before people really talked about mm-hmm. bullying in schools. And uh, I was always the outcast. I was ex- painfully shy. If you asked me my name, I would turn bright red and run away from you. And I always tried to fit in. And uh, there was very there was a couple of cliques of girls, and I never quite got into a clique. And they, you know, teased me and um, were never nice to me. And I remember being very young, thinking to myself, if I ever made a group of friends, I would try to be really nice to them. And I think that's what made me realize that I wanted to eventually help women and help young women feel confident and be themselves because I was always a little weird, but I never, you know, had someone tell me that was okay. In retrospect, if you have thought about this, like what do you think it was about you that made you a target? Um, I was doing my own thing. Like I didn't really care about what anyone else was doing. I always, and I still am like that. I wear whatever I want. I don't care about what the trends are. I never match my clothes. You know, my hair is always a mess. Um, I... Just, I'm always, I'm like a different person. I, I just, I like what I like and I don't try to fit in. And, um, I just was never really like anybody else in school. And I think in this private school, everyone was clones of each other. Mm. And I was like that different girl who we had to wear a uniform, but I would wear like this sparkly belt and they would all wear brown belts, you know, <laughs> or I would wear weird converse and they would all wear like, you know, Keds. So I think I was just always the odd one out who was very shy and I wasn't particularly very pretty either. And, you know, at that age, looks matter in school, I guess. And I think because of that, I was an easy target for people to to make fun of. Mm-hmm. Do how how is your confidence these days in relation to all that? I 
I think that I learned early on that I never wanted to change who I was. So like even when I was being bullied or people were not accepting me, I never had an urge to change. And I'm still like that. I'm still very proud of who I am. I still don't care what I, you know, what I wear in comparison to other people. I like being weird. Um, and I think that I've had this confidence because I, I realize that, hey, I'm not going to make friends the other way either. If I, if I change to be other people, you know, and I think when you're in a creative industry like writing where you start a weird business, like being a bridesmaid for hire, people are going to call you names and write mean things about you on the internet and I think you really learn how to take that in very well and not change who you are do you have a lot of haters everybody does I mean I've been writing on the internet for the past six years on various sites my own sites I wrote a book before this one and sure you know you'll find mean comments people will say crazy things and at first I'd read them and I'd care and my roommate (laughs) would um you know really put me in my place and and remind me not to listen to these people and uh you know after a while what would she say she'd be like, come on, this is crazy, you know, and the things they were saying didn't even make sense. And she made me realize if you have the energy to create a fake username and write a comment, (laughs) you are a bored person. Like there are way too many good Netflix shows on for you to have to do that, you know. Um, So you kind of have to just not believe what people say or think about you and and really have a strong sense of yourself and um, fight forward with who you are and not change for anybody. And it's it's true with dating too. You know, I think I went on a lot of dates with guys who wanted me to be someone who I was not. And I realized like, this is not going to work. So then I started dating and going on dates and putting my whole self out there on date one and saying, here's who I am. Like, if you don't like this now, like it's not going to get any better, you know? Uh, and I think that's just my personal way of living life. Were you on an episode of Millionaire Matchmaker? I wasn't. I just joined her club, Patty Sanger's club. I joined the Millionaire Matchmaker's club and in the club, they send you potential matches who are millionaires. I am not a millionaire. I was just on the dating pool, but uh, they send you matches who you can potentially go on dates with. And I did it because my mom thinks she's a sister of Patty Stanger. So it's our little joke that they're related. They look alike. They have the same (laughs) last name. Uh, So she made me sign up for the club amongst many other dating things she made me do, which I write about in my book because her goal in life was for me to settle down. And my goal was never to settle down <laughs> it is so you gave your mom oh kind of on a dare your login info and password to an online dating website and let her select a guy for you i did after uh her really asking me why i wasn't meeting anyone on there and it must be me i said mom here you go here's my login go through the guys find someone you like uh and she did she found a guy she messaged him herself and it was really interesting because her message to him was so sincere it was it was such a difference of like it just it it brought me back to my online dating Mm -hmm. experience of like trying so hard to be witty and captivating and all that and it's like no you can i think what what you quoted your mom as saying is like hi i think we'd have a lot in common would love to chat further let me know if you're interested in meeting up or something it was like so straightforward Yeah. yeah it was like a one sentence line and he wrote back meet me here and i went out with this guy uh and i won't ruin what happened in the chapter <laughs> of the book it was but not a love connection let's just say it was the shortest date in the history of dates and um it was a good experience because after that she started to realize wow online dating is actually a really hard thing to do and there's not as many great options as you might think so you're in a relationship now i am and um 
I was always the perpetually single girl, uh, but I am in one, and we met in a very crazy way, of course. You How? Know? I had uh, I gave I gave myself a challenge this past February um, to go on 14 first dates in one month, and I did it. I went on 14 first dates by the end of the month, and I met nobody I liked. It was why awful. why 14. <laughs> You know what? It was Valentine's Day, okay. and I figured, okay, I'm not going to sit home and cry, so I'm going to go on 14 first dates. There were oh days. Oh my god, that sounds so. Doesn't that sound awful, Jeff? It, it was awful. <laughs> yeah, I'm cringing in <laughs> silence. There were days I went on four first dates in one day. By the end of the day, I couldn't even. I had no voice left. I had told the same story four times. Had you, were you feeling like you just need to get out there more? I was honestly trying to get over somebody oh, who I had to get over. That makes sense. It was enough of me lingering on this person who, you know, broke my heart uh, and I was wasting time. And right. so I decided to do this challenge and the month ended. I was going to delete my dating app. I figured I gave it a great try. I'll see you in 2017. Which one were you using? Hinge. Oh, I don't even know that one. Um, it connects you with Facebook friends of people. You know, it was just another one I tried. Right. And I went to delete it. And there was a message from a guy. We were, Our match was expiring in four hours. And, <laughs> and he said, here's my number. Text me if you want. And I was like, I will never text a guy. <laughs> but I'm like, what's another date at this point? So I take the guy's number and I write to him very frank. I say, if you want to meet me, you can meet me Sunday at noon at this coffee shop by my house because I'm not going to travel for date 15. <laughs> and the guy was like, okay, Jen, I'll see you there. Uh, and I remember going to the coffee shop. And this- well, the funny thing is that message, I'm sure he it, like, I'm sure the tone didn't right. come through. He was probably just like, oh, cool, a coffee date. <laughs> he <laughs> definitely didn't know that I had been on 14 days yeah. and was angry. Uh, and he, this guy walks into the coffee shop and it was like, you know, he lit up the whole place. He was so happy to see me and meet me. And about a half an hour into our conversation, I remember thinking, oh my God, Jen, you need to pull yourself together. There's something special with this guy so I sat up straight and I was like patting down my hair and I started to talk nicer because for the first 30 minutes I was like okay tell me about yourself and you know he he swears I asked him what his five-year plan is which I'm positive I would never do that such a thing but you know he swears Um, and very long story short you know we've been together for almost 11 months which is like a record in my mind had you lost faith in or lost hope in online dating before that I was the kind of person who would, you know, download and delete apps almost once or twice a month. Um, I never was giving up on meeting someone. I was just positive I didn't want to settle. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the kind of person who was notorious for dating the wrong people for a very long time. I would linger with the wrong people. And um, after, you know, enough of that, I realized I wanted to start trying to find the right people and the right person so I never gave up it was almost like just taking casual breaks from it because it got exhausting Mm -hmm. there are times when you're online dating where you're just like I can't do this anymore and you shouldn't because you're not portraying your best self right what I found with online dating is that it's a lot of guys who are not really looking for anything real no especially in New York I mean in New York and any big city actually they're not looking to settle they're looking for as many great options as they can have and it's really, really hard out there. It really is. It's a game. And it was one game that I just did not have the rule book for. I did not know how to play. I didn't want to play. 
Uh, and that's how I realized this particular person was somebody interesting because he didn't play any games. After the first date, he hugged me goodbye and we made plans for pizza two days later. It was never like, let me not talk to her for two days, you know? Um, and he sat me down and he said, I want to be your boyfriend. And it wasn't, that was the first time anyone asked me to be their boy, you know, be their girlfriend. Normally I'm the one who's like, I love you. Do you want to be, you know, <laughs> with me? So, um, there was no games and that was very, it was very rare, very rare. What does he think of your professional bridesmaids job? He loved it. You know, he had figured out who I was before the date. And I know this now, obviously not on the date, but he told me he watched a bunch of my videos and he read about my business and shared it with his mom. And he was very supportive. (laughs) Um, And he had been an entrepreneur himself before. So he really got it. And it was a great date because he wasn't asking me, oh, you're a wedding crasher. You're this making me feel self-conscious. He was like, that is really cool. And we didn't spend the whole date talking about what I did, which of course could be a great topic for the whole date for the guy. But mm-hmm. for me, I don't know anything about you and I don't always like talking about what I do. So um, our date was awesome because we talked about everything, including going on the amazing race together. And I saved him in my phone on that date as Adam amazing race. <laughs> and it's just a funny thing that we still have now is we just talked about, you know, everything. And I liked that. What was your process with writing the book and getting the book published? Oh my goodness gracious. Uh, writing a book is very hard. Nonfiction is harder, I think, because it's harder to sell nonfiction. Um, I started off two years ago with a book proposal and I got an agent who um, helped me edit the proposal for a good year. And after that was done, she took it out to try to sell it. And I think she tried to sell it to about 25 publishers, uh, 22 of which rejected the book. And when they reject your book, you actually, it's very kind in a very weird way. They give you an email as to why they rejected it. So you know why they're rejecting it. What were the main reasons? Uh, Anywhere from you don't have enough Twitter followers to, (laughs) I swear to God, uh, to, you know, we're not just, we're not buying female millennial books right now to, uh, we don't like it. And I got 22 of those emails. And on the final day, so when you sell a book, you have like a time frame. It's open for two weeks. And on the final day of bidding at 22 rejections, we were waiting for the final three to come in. And uh, that's when I got the phone call that there were three offers. And I remember being at my desk at my full-time job and I got that email and I um, immediately ran to the elevator and was hysterically crying beyond belief. Um I think I called my mom who said, I told you so, this was going to happen. And it was just (laughs) the most incredible feeling in the world. I've wanted this since I was six years old to write a book for a major publisher. And, um, you know, it was just incredible. It was incredible. And after they bought it, I then had two months to write it, which is very rare. Why why just two months? Um, I had two months because they were originally going to try to rush to get it out for engagement season last year. Uh, but then they decided to... What is engagement season? Oh, engagement season is November to March. And they wanted to try to get it out for March 2016. So I had two months to write it. And I did. I wrote it in two months. And um, ironically, right as I started writing the book, I got laid off from my full-time job. It was a blessing in disguise. What had been your full-time job? I was a copywriter at a tech startup. And... Uh, got laid off from that job. So I sat home for two months every single day from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. and wrote my heart out. Uh, I didn't do much else during that time. And yeah, I mean, it's like a, it's a, it's not a super short book. So the fact it's 298 pages. So the fact that you wrote all of that in two months. Wow. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah. I guess you probably had a couple chapters for the proposal, but yeah, I had like one or two and, um, 
I would write a new chapter every two days. And it was a, a very exhausting process because you are bearing your heart and you are talking about things you haven't thought about in years and you're not seeing other people during that time. I remember my roommate would leave for work and she'd come home after the gym at night and I'd be in the same spot in the same <laughs> clothes, losing my mind. Because Had, So I, in a book proposal, usually there's chapter summaries or an outline. Mm-hmm. Um, did having that help you to write the book so fast or did stuff start changing when you sat down to write? It totally changed. I remember I was on chapter two and I emailed my um, editor and I said, how close to the book proposal does this have to be? And she goes, nope, that's just an outline. Go for it. And uh, as I was writing it, I just took different twists and turns and remembered stories. And um, I, I really didn't use it that much. It was it was great to organize my thoughts that way. But when you're writing a chapter, figuring out how to structure it and make it interesting right. 26 different times is a challenge and you just have to go for it. Did the book end up being more personal than the, than the proposal? Yeah, much more like, personal. Was the proposal more professional bridesmaidy? You know what? Um, it was a mix. And when there were three offers on the table, I chose the one I chose because the editor called me up and said, I want you to write a book about what you've learned from everything you've experienced, weddings, datings, your mom, everything. And the other publishers wanted me to write a book about the weird, crazy weddings I had been to, which, yeah, that's interesting. But I never envisioned writing a book about horror stories of weddings. Right. I'm not that kind of person. I loved the idea of writing about what I had learned from life experiences. That's what I know how to write about. Uh, right, because you, your website was... The thing- things I learned from. Yeah. I wrote about everything I learned from every weird situation. And that's what made it easy because I was writing about what I learned and what I loved. If I wrote about wedding horror stories by chapter five, I'd be like, oh my God, this book is repetitive. <laughs> yeah. But the book that I wrote has very few wedding stories. I mean, I think there's maybe four wedding stories and the rest are stories about other things that have happened to me during the time I started a business and just growing up in general. A great place to buy your book would be Amazon. Yeah. I'm imagining, right? It's, it's- on Amazon. Uh, it's on Barnes & Noble. I think uh, other places too, of course. But yeah, Amazon's probably the place you can get it the, the quickest. Do Amazon... Because if you click through the banner on my website, alisonrosen.com, it doesn't cost you anything extra. It helps out the show a little bit. Um, They send a few cents our way. And also all the other stuff on Amazon, they have everything. Just click through the banner on my website. Um, Thank you so much for Amazon support. Also want to tell you guys that I am on Patreon. Patreon is sort of like uh, Kickstarter, but you can support an artist or a podcaster on a monthly ongoing basis. There's different reward levels. You can get extra episodes a month. You can get access to an exclusive live video stream. There's an official fan club level where you get merchandise in the mail, Um, all sorts of fun stuff. So check out patreon.com slash Rosen patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash allison rosen let's do just mirror everyone sometimes i ponder on something i have thought or done is it just me or everyone Okay, so this is a segment where people write in with things that they think or that they do, and it makes them wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? And we weigh in. Okay, so Justin Johnson says, just me or everyone, when the sign in the grocery store clearly says 15 items or fewer, and someone clearly has way more than 15, I get super mad. 
Well, I think that's everyone. Oh, yeah. I get mad, too. But sometimes I'm the one that actually does it. I know. It. I think I probably am, too. Yeah. I do that sometimes just because you're in a rush and, you know, what's, yeah. what's 16 when it says 15? <laughs> I, I think we had one where someone got upset when people with fewer than 15 items go in the regular line. Mm. I'm like, it doesn't work that way. I know. That's just reverse psychology there. Throws everybody <laughs> off. Okay. Jacob Hewell says, can't stand when people use itch as a verb instead of scratch. Ooh, that's interesting. I think it's more casual to say itch. I would have agreed with this, except the other night, I think I did say this. Yeah. I think I did. I mean, I get what you're saying, though. Itch is not meant to be a verb. Right. You know what? I think when we're talking casually, we say things that are not proper anyway, and no one picks up on it. Right. Oh, my listeners do. (laughs) (laughs) Mushy purp... What is this? Mushy purples? Mushy mushy purples. Says, I say I read an article when really I watched a video. Um... I feel like I say I read an article when really I skimmed the headline or saw it on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I say I read an article when I read like the bullet points yeah. that are like the top five things you have to know. Luann D says, have to look up real person's picture when watching historical show or movie. Yes, I do that all of the time, especially when I watch a movie that's based on someone's real life. I look up what they look like, mm-hmm. read their bio. I'm obsessed. Nina Torino says... Every time I see the word indescribable, I think that must be spelled wrong. It does look wrong. There's it so does. much ibabble in it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot going on. There's a word. lot. There's a lot of bees and stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah, indescribable. It does look wrong. The word scribble, if you think about it too long, loses. I mean, all words lose meaning yes. when you think about it too long, but scribble, scribble. is a spe- especially mm-hmm. gibberish. It is. I like that word. Yeah. Uh, Nick Heidenreich says regarding placenta talk. So on the the show, we were talking about people who, um, encapsulate their placenta. Yes. That's a trend. Yes. Um, I find it strange that placenta is the only medical waste you're allowed to keep, not even wisdom teeth. Yeah. Apparently if you want to keep your placenta because you're going to encapsulate it or, make it into a smoothie or yeah. plant it and grow a tree, what have you. You just tell them ahead of time, bring a cooler and they'll they'll no release it to you. You bring your own cooler? I think you have to, yeah. Wow. You got to bring your own. I wonder if they make you pay for it too. Oh, like a corkage fee? Yeah. No, seriously. <laughs> they, they might. They're actually, I wouldn't be surprised if they tack on yeah. a something extra because like placenta processing or whatever. I, I would not be surprised. I was planning to just let them have mine. Yeah. They can just do what they will with it. Yeah. Or just ask them how much it's going to cost. I want to know. Yeah. Okay. I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> Tweet me. <laughs> I want to know. What if that was that was how I based my decision on whether to right? keep it or not, just based on the price? And if you get a discount on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what's the breaking point for you? Be like, <laughs> yeah. $25, I'm in. Anything over that? Yeah. Oh, Too it's twenty six fifty. You know what? Yeah, I, never I mind. My line. I'm walking away. <laughs> I'm walking away. We do 22. Oh my god! I'm gonna barter. I'm gonna oh negotiate god. with them. Are you gonna haggle with a woman that just gave birth? <laughs> I know. I didn't even know that they won't let you keep your wisdom teeth. I didn't know that. I either. didn't. I didn't ask for mine. I got my wisdom teeth. Really? You do yeah. secretly? No, I said. Can I have I, those? I don't know if they asked. Well, I definitely got them, but I think they asked me if I wanted to keep them. Huh? Yeah. What? Where are they? Uh, I think I know where they are. I may have thrown them out, but I, I had, I just had them like in a little box yeah. in a pile of junk, and then I would open them up and go, "Wow, that's pretty freaky." Ooh, 
they must be gross. big teeth, right? They're huge. They're oh. they're weirdly big. Right, because there's the actual tooth part that you see. And then the root. Yeah. is like, yeah. what's the ratio of tooth to root? Oh, it's like uh, lengthwise, the root is longer than tooth for sure. It's almost twice as long as the tooth, as I remember Yuck. it. Whoa. But it's a little thin and it's kind of pointy. But there was another time that I had a tooth sort of knocked out of my head. Oh. And, was that from the bike accident? Yeah, and I asked if I could keep it, and the doctor was like, you're gross. What? But did he let you? No. Why? It's your tooth. That's your property. I feel, That's, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted it as kind of a memento of what I had survived, yeah. but uh, yeah, she just said, you're you're being a gross, silly person. <gasps> and I wasn't in much of a fighting mood right, at that point. Right. So. You are probably like, just get me home. I was like, okay, give me more morphine. Yeah. <laughs> I have Wendy's baby teeth. That's my I dog. Blame really? <laughs> yeah. Because I found, it was weird with Oliver, our dog before Wendy, I never found his baby teeth. I don't know what what happened to them. I just, I don't know if he swallowed yeah, them or if they just I got lost. Yeah. But with her, when her baby teeth started falling out, I would find them in the carpet. So I saved them oh. and I have them in a little jewelry box. <laughs> There's nothing weird about that. My husband think that's thinks weird it's super all. weird. I don't think that's weird. He thinks it's weird. They're teeth. I didn't know dogs had baby. I mean, I they guess do. it makes sense, yeah. but yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah. Every now and then I look at them. Every now, because I have a few different jewelry boxes that look the same. And sometimes I'll be like, which is the one that has her teeth in them? Oh. <laughs> it's weird. They're in my nightstand. Are you going to get a necklace made out right? of them? I should, right? I saw someone in New York on the subway wearing teeth earrings. They, I, mean, I don't know if they were human or what, but she had teeth all over her earrings. Could not, be a new trend. I'm not into that. That's nature's way of saying, I'm available. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't I think of you wearing those? <laughs> um. Oh, well, speaking of, Abe Lopez says, bespoke is now a word I hear very often that I'd not heard of before six months ago. Mm. I had heard of it before six months ago, but it does seem to be a commonly used word now. Yeah. Does it mean like fancy pants? I think it means custom fancy pants. I think, mm. Interesting. isn't it a specific style from England? Is there a bespoke street? It sounds really familiar. The origin is something in England, and I think it has to do with a specific style of custom-made suit. Hmm. Jeff will find out for us. It appears to mean, or at least originally, custom-made, especially of clothes. Nice. And I, Yeah, I think there's a street or... Sp- Hang on, the internet will tell me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... According to the internet, it is derived from the word bespeak. Oh. Huh. And the particular meaning of the verb form. Like that's what we're doing, bespeaking. Right. Yes, we are. Bes- we bespeaking. <laughs> <laughs> so it comes from the adjective bespoken, meaning ordered, commissioned, arranged for. Mm. Interesting. I don't know why I thought this England thing. I'm mm. wrong. You never know. West Anthony says, when someone is described as a quote-unquote voracious reader, I briefly imagine them eating books. I never do that, but I'm going to from now on. I love that. I love that. I feel like I've done that before, too. That's beautiful. So wait, when you were a little kid and you loved books, what do you remember what your favorites were? Oh, my goodness. I used to... I don't... I loved the Babysitter's Club. Mm. Um, what else? 
a lot of Full House books. I love the R.L. Stein Choose Your Own Adventure books. Um, they had Full House books? Yeah, they did. I was a Full House obsessed kind of girl. <laughs> I, I had Dave Coulier on the show. Oh my God, he's awesome. Mm. I love, I don't know, I loved, I would go to the library. I remember my mom would say and my grandma would take me and I would hit the limit of t- like taking out t- 10 books a day. Just loved reading. Did you read Sweet Valley High at all? I think so. Yeah. Okay. That that was my series. Um, also, Babysitter's Club. Yeah, loved it. Katie Ann says, and this is the last one, just mirror everyone. Feel weird when the main character in a show or book shares your name. Well, that must happen to you all the time. Yeah, with common names, I feel like that. I remember when I was writing this book, I tried to, I changed almost all names and I tried to maybe choose like not really different kind of names, but yeah, I didn't want people to read the book and think it was them. Mm-hmm. Have people recognized themselves in the book? No one's really read it yet. Um, none of my friends have read it yet. My mom hasn't read it yet, but I'm sure people Your mom will. hasn't. She hasn't. I'm nervous for her too. <laughs> I'm waiting for everyone to read it on the day it comes out. I want it to be like a special day, but um, I tried to change names because I'm not trying to you know, call people out and it's not making anyone look bad. The book makes myself look bad quite often, so I don't want to make anyone you know, feel bad or hurt their feelings. Well, Jen... Sarah Glance. Yes. <laughs> I'm <with> my mom. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. What have I missed? This is it. I mean, I would love if people found the book on Amazon, clicking your link to see Always a Bridesmate for Hire. It hits shelves and stores on Amazon on February 7th. Perfect. Follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. Jeff, where should we go for you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox. Okay. And so everyone go out and get Always a Bridesmaid for Hire on February 7th, although it's available for pre-order now, right? Yep, you'll save a lot of money if you pre-order it now. Do that. Um, and tell everyone where else they can find you. Sure. I'm on all social media at Jen Glantz, and you can find me at bridesmaidforhire.com. And it's G-L-A-N-T-Z. Yes. It is in Zebra. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Yeah, Allison Rosen, here's your new best.